Welcome to another episode of Breaking the Glass Slipper. Today we're lucky enough to be joined by fantasy writer Jen Williams, author of the Copper Cat trilogy. So, hi Jen, thanks for coming along and talking to us. No problem, hello. Hello, Uh, so I thought to kick off, um, how would you introduce the Copper Cat trilogy to a brand new reader? Uh, Well, um, the the Copper Cat trilogy, I usually think of them as being uh, epic sword and sorcery, so kind of like a mixture of uh, epic fantasy and, and sword and sorcery. Which um, basically means that you know they're very character-driven books um, about people who uh, are kind of usually the smaller people in the picture. They're not the kings uh, and the queens. They're not the the army generals. These are the people on the ground, kind of just trying to live their lives. Um, and uh, essentially, it's about two mercenaries, um, Widrin uh, of Crosshaven, also known as the Copper Cap. And her partner, Sebastian Carverson, who is an ex-knight. Um, basically, they're jobbing cell swords. Uh, and they take on um, a job from the mysterious Lord Frith, who requires them to break into um, a forbidden citadel. Um, and once inside there, of course, it all goes terribly wrong. Um, they accidentally unleash uh, an ancient and very angry god. Um, and that's kind of that's the beginning of the book, and from there everything kind of gets um, wildly out of control. Um, basically, Widrin and Sebastian aren't really uh, your usual heroes. They're they're kind of reluctant to take this on, even though it's kind of their fault. So a lot of the the book is kind of about their their character journey, how um, how they come to the decision that they can't really ignore the giant. Um, ancient god dragon um, and then the, the, the follow up book The Iron Ghost and then The Silver Tide the last one, they're, they're all kind of self-contained adventures um, so each one has its own kind of story but they all follow the same characters Oh excellent, well um, I think all three of your protagonists are extremely memorable uh, and they're, they all have their own very distinctive personalities Um but I think you probably could say that Widrin was the central character and she tends to kind of, I think I thought that she was a thread binding um, Sebastian and Fifth together. So was it a deliberate choice to have the main character as a female? Um, and how did that uh, choice influence the development of the story? Uh, well, when I was when I was sort of in the initial planning stages of the book, I always thought of the three of them as being kind of equally the main character, which kind of makes no sense. Um, but to me, they, they each had their own stories to tell. So um, Frith obviously had his storyline of um, revenge and Sebastian has this um, this past that he's trying to come to terms with himself. Um, so they, they're all equally important to me. But kind of as I came to write it, um, Widrin is such a forceful personality um, and so much fun to write that she kind of moves centre stage without me really planning it. Um, and when when it, that happened, it sort of became clearer and clearer to me that this was kind of the the character that would people people would latch onto. Um, and and they have Gen- generally when people talk about the books, they always identify Widrin as the main character. Um, and the more I thought about it, the more that was interesting because we actually don't see that many um fantasy books epic fantasy books where the the central character is a woman um and i thought well you know why not 
why not make her, you know, the the character that is the hero, that is the funny one, that kind of gets all the good lines, um, is essentially the leader of the group. Um, and it kind of it it kind of naturally came from there. And it, I, I didn't do an awful lot of soul searching about it or worrying about it. It was so obvious that she was the one who was going to be bossing everyone else around, um, and so obvious that she was kind of the linchpin. Um, that it kind of just happened. Um, and, and you're right, you're totally right that she is the thread that binds the three of them together. So obviously she and Sebastian have been partners, um, business partners, um, for uh, a number of years at the point of the first book. And they're, you know, they're very best friends. They, they care about each other deeply. And then of course, um, Thrift comes into their group and, uh, he becomes gradually more and more involved with them, mainly because of Widgen. Um, and I think she was kind of the turning point in a way, the fact that she was this really strong female character at the heart of it, um, kind of, I think it defined the character of the whole trilogy really, because, um, you know, why not, why not have a female rogue? I mean, so often the, the wisecracking rogue character is a guy. So, well, why can't that be a woman for once, you know? And, um, and uh, she was brilliant. She's brilliant fun to write, and I love her very much. <laughs> she is a really great character, and it's so refreshing to actually have a central female character in epic fantasy or sword and sorcery, because as you say, um, it's been quite a traditional male role. Uh, sticking along those lines, um, were there any particular things that you had to change or think about uh, more in writing a badass female character because um, Woodrun is totally badass <laughs> uh, compared to kind of more the, the male characters in the book I mean did you ever find yourself unconsciously reacting to assumptions about gender um, I think I think it's kind of it's happened more and more as, as I as I wrote the trilogy and um, getting feedback from people but um it has to be said, you know, that assumptions about gender really do get on my wick. So um, it, it became a thing that I was consciously thinking about in the end. So um, things like one of the things that I really hate in uh, in books that turns up a lot is the the idea of the male gaze, that everything is kind of filtered through um, the idea that the person reading it is a heterosexual man. Um, so one of the things that I'm consciously did in the copper cat books is avoid that you know as much as possible so widrin is never described in the, you know like you, you read books sometimes and the women come into it and they're kind of there's, you know the token woman character um will be described as being beautiful and she will have like you know long flaxen hair that's very you know fabulous and silky or whatever and she'll be inevitably her boobs will be described you know and it's usually that they're full or they're perky or something like that and it's just hate that so much hate it so it's like, I, I never get that i mean what why their boobs i mean i don't think in my what? entire history of writing i've ever talked about a woman's boobs like yeah well, it is very odd isn't it i mean it, there's no equivalent you know we don't when describing a man you don't immediately think well you know you wouldn't like skirt down to his trousers and start describing his package. No, oh, I know. So why? <laughs> it's a double standard, isn't it? It is. It is, and it gets on my wick, to be honest. And um, so Widrin is never described in those terms in the book. Um, in fact, she's never really described as being beautiful. But what I found is um, 
because she's so confident um, and she, you know, she is never uh, less than completely convinced that she's doing the right thing. I think people really respond to that. So I often get people telling me that they think Widgeon is a very sexy character. And it's like she's never described as sexy, but because of her attitude, um, I think it comes across anyway. Um, and equally, uh, on the other hand, the men in the book, uh, the men in the trilogy are often described as being attractive. And we often, because it's Widrin's point of view sometimes, we see them as Widrin sees them. And she thinks they're attractive men, you know, and I, I like to bring that in as well because we hardly ever see it, you know. So no, that's true. I think they're attractive men as well. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, I know. But so do I. Um, and so why not? You know, we we have to put up with so much of uh, of the male gaze and everything. And um, I just think it's it becomes really once you've seen it, once you know what you're what it is, and you you kind of know what to look for with that sort of thing. You kind of see it everywhere, and it becomes really depressing. Um, no, totally. So. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, I um, in terms of gender assumptions, yeah, I mean, I've tried to because I'm playing with tropes all the time in, in the Copper Cat books. So I'm playing with those sort of tropes as well. So obviously, as I said, you know, the, the wisecracking rogue is now a woman. Uh, the the big uh, muscular warrior is gay. Um, even the mage is kind of, you know, he's physically slight. Um, he's only powerful because of the magic, basically. And he's also, you know, in the end, he's uh, not bossed around by Widrin, but, you know, he, he really respects her and listens to her. And and I tried to do it with um, with side characters as well. So, for example, in the first book, there's a character called the Secret Keeper um, who makes magical glass. And originally in my first draft, uh, that was like your typical old wizard dude, um, you know, like a, a proper Gandalf, um, who's very old and wise and was there to dispense information because that's, you know, a useful thing in a fancy book. And I just writing it, I was really bored and I thought this is really tedious. I don't know, you know, what the point of this is. And I, I essentially went back in the second draft and, um, changed him into a woman and, Immediately, the character was much more interesting because you don't often get a kind of because she's quite physically large. The secret keeper at the beginning, you know, it's complicated because she's um, represented in various different ages, and I won't go into that. But she's kind of a, she's a big, gruff woman who, um, you know, works with her hands, and she's very wise and quite sarcastic. And it, it instantly became a much more interesting character. So I think really challenging gender assumptions. It's kind of, it's almost part and parcel of the whole challenging tropes thing because, you know, that the thing about these books really is that they are sword and sorcery and they're very old school fantasy, but they have um, a very modern edge and I wanted them very much to be modern um, fantasy books. So it's important that things like kind of quite outdated tropes are kind of challenged at every point. Um, I thought we'd ask you a question about um, Ephemeral, who is a really, really interesting character. Um, more interesting because she isn't actually human. Um, and and Megan said that she was a really big fan of Ephemeral and the entire story arc for the Brood Sisters. Um, and yeah. I think Ephemeral in particular becomes an increasingly complex character as she learns kind of what it means to be human. And um, although she changes a great deal 
through the trilogy as she kind of starts off as you know being pretty monstrous and it's you know potentially I mean, she kills a lot of humans uh, in cold blood <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so that is obviously potentially difficult to empathize with that kind of character um so how did you uh, how did you approach uh, creating um ephemeral's character right from the very beginning well ephemeral was was kind of she's kind of the big surprise to me of the trilogy because originally what happened was obviously the baddie in the first book is a giant dragon um called your ruin and the thing about having a, a dragon as your baddie is that they're kind of massively overpowered so they can kind of just kill your heroes kind of straight away and, and that would be the end of it so what i needed was it's like some some ground troops for her it's like some minions so um i created these um what we call the brood sisters in the books which are these um these dragon women who she has who the dragon has spawned um, and they're kind of, they're not, they're humanoid, but they're not human. Um, they're very connected to Yuruin and they, you know, they are there to carry out her will, which is to destroy everything. Um, so, um, at the very beginning of the book, um, I wanted to do a point of view chapter from one of, from the, one of those characters. Uh, and at the time, Ephemeral was called the 33rd, I think, before she, before she chose her name, because they, they were just, they were minions. They didn't have personalities or identities. They were just numbers. So they referred to each other, you know, by what number they crawled out of the um, spawning area. <laughs> I, it's funny because I'd almost forgotten that. I mean, she's become such a, a important and such an interesting and likable character that I'd almost forgotten that she started out life as, as just a number. Yeah. yeah I, do you know what? I, to be honest, I kind of forgot about it. <laughs> So she, uh, so the first, this first point of view chapter, I wanted just because it would be fun. I thought to have a point of view um, chapter from one of these murderous creatures, uh, and I think it opens with her, you know, um, in some in a family's house while the rest of the brood sisters are like um, destroying this town, um, and she's essentially terrorizing a family, um, and eventually kills. Uh, the child, I think, um, she's, you yeah, know, she's, she's pretty mean. It's, she's pretty mean. Uh, and you know, it's a terrible example of the sort of thing that I like to write, but, uh, it was really fun. And then kind of as the story progressed and, um, it's very complicated if you haven't read the book, but essentially she is influenced by Sebastian's blood. She starts to become more human. They, they all start to become more human. Um, and she starts to question what they're doing. Um, and she starts to gain her own identity and personality. Um, and it kind of, it, it knocked me sideways really because I hadn't really planned any of that. It just kind of happened. Um, and she became incredibly interesting, um, as she has this kind of time of self discovery and eventually kind of standing up to, um, to Yuruin and the danger it puts her in and, and all of her choices and, and, um, and she ended up being, weirdly, um, I think, a real favourite of readers as well. But people are always, you know, when people contacted me, it's either, it's almost always either about Widrin or Ephemeral. Um, people really like her um, and her whole journey. And it was, it was tricky because I did think when I was writing the first chapter, certainly, you know, this is a character who tears the throat out of a child. <laughs> Just because you know, just because um, she doesn't 
have any particular reason to do it. That's just her nature. And then gradually her nature changes and she becomes very conflicted. Um, it is hard, but I think people are fascinated by her because she is a weird mixture of incredibly innocent um, and naive and also murderous. And that's quite an odd mix up. And I think people really um, get drawn in by that. And also I think her journey uh, um, allowed me to talk about um, things like identity and the importance of uh, independence, which um, I think uh, really uh, strikes a chord with people. Um, so she ended up definitely being a, a total favourite. I mean, never when I originally kind of started thinking about the trilogy did I think that a minion side character would end up kind of going on to appear in books two and three, which she does. It's often the challenging characters that are the most rewarding, I think, for a writer and a reader, I guess. Yeah, totally. Um, especially the unexpected ones as well, the ones that you didn't think... <laughs> come at you from an angle. She totally wasn't on the page when I was planning the book. She didn't exist at all, so um, she was kind of an unexpected blessing, really. Um, speaking of challenging characters, um, also uh, we were thinking about... Um, the character of Ip, who is this, well, I think that's how you say her name, she's this it, small yep. girl <laughs> who is really, really frightening. Um, what can you tell us about that? I'm not sure if we can, if, if it's spoilerific or uh, yeah. or if you're okay with talking about uh, demons, because demons <laughs> do tend to feature uh, alongside gods uh, in your books. And we, we do have a bad demon and a good demon. That's true. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's all part of the mythology of the books, I suppose. And um, that was the fun thing about it for me is that she gives me an opportunity to write about that side of of the magic and, and the, the strangeness of the world. So you have the gods um, who are kind of formed of a certain sort of magic. You have the um, Frith and his mage's magic, which is very cerebral and what have you. And then you have a kind of a magic that comes from the sort of the the earth and the stones and the trees and it's this kind of very um primal magic and that's kind of where the demons come from in um in this world and um so yeah it's kind of it's obviously very tied up with the whole um demon side of things um she she uh, originally i just had an image of a little girl um with bare feet and her um, her feet were covered in blood up to her ankles. I just had an image of her, and I thought, well, you know, that's that's creepy. Everyone <laughs> likes creepy children. is always a hit. So um, I kind of, you know, sketched her in and then gradually realised, actually, there's a lot more going on with Ip, um, uh, and that's kind of where she came from. She's interesting because I almost it's almost difficult to talk about her without talking about um, the other personality that she carries with her. Um, who is kind of irredeemably bad. Um, and I almost see Ip and her passenger as the counterpoint to Ephemeral. So Ephemeral is, you know, she's murderous and kills lots of people. But essentially it's, it's almost difficult to blame her for it because she doesn't really understand what she's doing um, and she is very naive. Whereas uh, Ip... Um, and her uh, demon passenger um, are completely irredeemable, really. I mean, there's a, there's a flicker of saying, you know, I, I won't get into spoiler 
um, territory there. But things things change for it in the second book. But uh, she was interesting to write because you could just be as awful as possible with it. There was no um, there was no sense of oh you know this is a bit far. She she was well you know it, she has a demon who is making her do terrible things or it's doing terrible things. Uh, and you don't have to kind of step away from it because de- the demons are all about appetite in in this book. Um, they're all about a need for something, and and the need that it has is for violence and pain. And uh, and so you know that's a lot of fun to write. <laughs> it's it's a clever idea, you know, um, creating instead of just using a, a fully fledged monster demon with like red horns and claws actually um shrinking that down and imprisoning it in the body of a seemingly innocent child just makes that character all the more interesting i think yeah and i really enjoyed writing the scenes um where sebastian initially meets it um and sebastian being sebastian he kind of you know, he's concerned for her because, you know, she's a child and what is she doing out here in this place? And um, and then he gradually comes to realise that, um, you know, all is not what it seems. Um, and, and yeah, there's just something enormously fun about writing really unpleasant children. Maybe it's just because I don't like children that much, you know. Um, so on the whole, um, what do you... What would you like readers to take away from from your books? You know, in, in, I was going to say in terms of gender, but in terms of anything, really. Um, I guess I would like uh, people to to feel like they could read the books and find characters in it that they identify with, that they feel close to. I, that's quite important to me. That you know, people are represented in the books, and what you know, I mean, that sounds really dry, but. Um, you know, I mean, I've read fantasy books often where, uh, you know, they're all they're mostly about blokes, usually um, upper class blokes. They're usually kings or princes or what have you. And if there's a woman in it, she's usually a princess. Um, I, I, I really want to read books where, you know, maybe there are working women, you know, women who actually get stuff done, women um, who have their own independent goals that they don't need a, a man to kind of define their role so you know Bridget is um she is her own self she's not someone's love interest she's not someone's catalyst to go and do something else she's not someone's reward um so it's important to me that you know that uh, people can read the books and, and feel welcomed there you know does that make sense no, I um, think it's, it makes perfect sense <laughs> and also that they're fun um they're fun they're full of banter and adventure and um a lot of old school fantasy stuff like magic and monsters and what have you um so i hope that people enjoy them really and that they feel um that they've been somewhere with the characters and and been on a journey you know and and um come to think of them as uh friends which is kind of how i felt um, so moving out into the wider arena of um, contemporary genre um, at the moment, what are some of your pet hates when it comes to female characters and assumptions and tropes that just won't seem to go away? <laughs> right. How many hours have you got? Uh, oh, about seven and a half. <laughs> yeah. Um, do you know what? 
I don't want to, you know, I don't want to be like, you know, one of these people who whinges a lot. But um, yeah, I mean, there's there's various things that I've probably touched on already a little bit. Um, I kind of hate. I'm really over reading fantasy books where it takes a couple of hundred pages before a female character turns up or um, before, you know, one is even mentioned or <laughs> they have any dialogue. You know, I'm kind of like, do you know what? We're half the population. Um, where are we? Uh, I'm kind of over these fantasy books where they don't, there's a thing maybe like one or two women in it. It's usually the hero's mum or his, uh, you know, girlfriend who gets murdered and then, um, he goes off to do whatever. Um, the other thing, oddly, and sometimes it's fine and sometimes it's done really well, but the trope of a woman who suffers some sort of trauma, um, and becomes a total badass because of it. I kind of, I'm kind of fed up with that. In, in some ways, often it's fine and done well, but uh, I quite like women to be strong and badass without having to have had some sort of terrible thing happen to them. And it's part of the uh, genesis behind Widrin is that she is strong and she's capable and independent because of just who she is and how she's been raised um, and what her life has been up to. She's just like that. You know, she hasn't had to have had some sort of terrible thing happen to her for her to suddenly go right I'm going to kick everyone's ass she just you know that's who she is um and I think the usually the problem with those characters is that um they're very angry and kind of closed off and uh cold and they've got you know a chip on their shoulder about everything but eventually you know the male hero will eventually win them over with his love you know it's that sort of thing um that tends to get on my tits it's um, amazing that we're still reading books that that follow that old pattern. Yeah, I mean it is. It's a classic trope in a way, um, but it's you know it, what it does essentially is reinforce the idea that the male character is always the central character, and it's the male character who causes change and gets things done, and um, that bothers me a bit. Uh, other stuff. Um, rape uh you know i could do with a lot less rape <laughs> it's the thing is you know if you're going to talk about rape it's so important and such a serious subject you need to really devote um a lot of thought to that you can't I, i'm tired of it being thrown in as an extra bit of drama you know um that's kind of it's a serious thing and the repercussions are serious it's not something that can just be brushed off of course, if you, if your male, if your character is male and, you know, it's just happening to his girlfriend, then I suppose he does just brush it off. But that's not what I want to read about. Um, I think things like, um, Robin Hobbs live ship trilogy, which I bang on about a lot, um, is a good example of writing about sexual abuse and making it mean something and saying, you know, this is important. We need to talk about it. And this is uh, us talking about it in a serious way. And it, it shows the repercussions. It shows how devastating it is. And she really doesn't shy away from it. Um, and I think that's, you know, if you, if you want to talk about it, then that's how you talk about it. You can't just chuck it in as, you know, a bit of a titillating bit of drama because that's just kind of awful. And cheap. And, and cheap. Yes. <laughs> I cheap and boring and um I hate that whole kind of this is probably um going off on a slight ta- tangent but the whole 
um, people saying, well, you know, historically that's what happened. Well, like, A, I'm not writing historical fiction, so shut up. Um, B, that actually that's not really true. Um, and, you know, that's not, that's not, not a justification. If, if you want to talk about, you know, historical accuracy, if you're basing your books on medieval Europe, then everyone in your book should have dysentery and be shitting themselves all the time. You know, that's, this is, we're talking about realism. That's what, you know, that's well, where you... No, I don't see why we have to recreate our own institutions of gender. Yeah, exactly. exactly. And there's no, there's no need for it. And I mean, certainly, I mean, to be fair, the, the Copper Cat books are certainly not um, based in any way on, on Earth history. They are, um, they are taking place in a sword and sorcery tradition that um, is kind of divorced from all of that so um it's not something perhaps that i have to deal with directly but do you know what you can do whatever you like in a fantasy book you know you can have if you can have dragons and you can have demons then you can have you know women doing whatever you like frankly and thank god for that yeah um so on a more positive note um because <laughs> we could rant all night um who are some of your favorite um female fantasy writers Oh, well, um, well, obviously Robin Hobb, who I continually bore everyone to death about. Um, uh, I think she's amazing. She writes, uh, because I, I'm a big fan of character driven books. Um, she's kind of the best at writing, uh, character driven stuff that completely destroys you. Um, I just read her, um, I think it's The Reindeer People followed by, uh, Wolf's Brother, which is her sort of, um, the two book series she did as Megan Lindholm, I think. Um, yeah. And that, I mean, even in that, she's like, it's, it's much less magical than live ship and it's not as complicated as the Farseer trilogy, but it's still like, it, it draws you into these characters and, and immerses you in a world, um, until you are completely invested in them. And I think she does that kind of better than everyone else really. I uh, see. I just started reading N.K. Jemison's The Fifth Season. Oh, I've the, heard good things about this. Yeah, I haven't read any of her stuff before, um, so I'm I'm only a little way in, but it is incredible. Um, she's obviously amazing. Um, I'm reading it, going, oh no, perhaps I shouldn't have read this because now I feel really like inadequate. But um, uh, she's incredible. I just finished reading uh, Station Eleven by Emily St. John Mandel. Yes, yeah, I heard good things about that too. Oh, you should read it, it's amazing. Everyone um, says that. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, you know, post-apocalyptic, uh, but very kind of beautiful and, and moving. It's um, scary in places, but um, it says lots of things about um, humanity, which is really interesting. Um, I'm a big fan of... Mo Hader, who's a crime author, so it's kind of, that's probably stepping outside the boundary slightly, but she, uh, writes incredibly, um, scary, slightly supernatural crime, um, and her stuff is, you know, just like really terrifying and grim. Um, how can you read that before bed? I don't know. Do you know what I, I did, um, while I was reading it, I, I was a little bit, you know, you think, oh, I'll be okay, you know, it's fine, I'm 35 years old, I'll be alright. And then I wake up at three in the morning. And I'm like, yeah, I'm not sure that this was the best um, choice of book. <laughs> what about uh, any of your favourite female characters? And you can doesn't have to be fantasy; it could be anything. Yeah, I um, 
favorite female characters well the, the kind of the big ones for me are uh granny granny weatherwax and nanny og um the oh, they are classic the disco yeah i mean for me they're kind of they were the some of the first characters i read as a younger person where uh women were kind of powerful uh in their kind of their own strange way um and that was uh, incredibly important also they're really funny you know um you feel like you know them both kind of immediately they're very familiar characters um and they're they're, they're my favorite of terry pratchett characters and you know there's so many brilliant characters that he wrote um i love uh, althea vestrit from the live ship traders uh who and, and malta as well malta vestrit who both characters who initially i didn't really like um I think Robin Hobb is very good at, at giving you these characters who you don't necessarily like, but they're very real and you kind of get drawn into their stories. And then eventually you come to um, be very fond of them. You know, Malta is a nightmare at the beginning of those books. She's an absolute pain in the ass. But by the end of it, uh, I was like, well, I will fight anyone who doesn't like Malta. And there's loads of female characters in uh, Game of Thrones that I really love, like um, Arya Stark. Oh, I love her too. Just absolutely <laughs> badass. Yeah, she's so cool. She's ridiculously cool. Um, and uh, Cersei as well, Cersei Lannister, who obviously is a bit of a shit, but um, his she's you know she's doing what she needs to do, and um, she won't let anyone mess her about. And I quite like that about her. So, what would you like to see more of uh, in in genre? Uh, I would like. I would like to see more women kind of in all sorts of roles. You know, I'd like to see them everywhere. I was One of the things that I really loved about uh, the new Star Wars film, which I'm obsessed with at the moment, um, is that there were kind of women kind of slotted around casually everywhere. So you had women um, defending their settlements from the stormtroopers. Uh, you had women uh, pilots and you had women in the rebel base just sort of helping out. But you also had like, female villains you had women um on the side of the first order doing stuff and they were kind of just like casually everywhere and that's kind of what i want to see i want um more worlds where women are just there because that's what the world is like <laughs> we are just there um and i, I want 50 you know, of the population population guys you know come on um so and totally capable of doing you know anything that needs to be done so i would love to see more of that i'd love to see more consensual sex in fantasy books so it's actually yeah. quite sad that you've had to say that i know i know it's, ter it's terrible but you know when um the copper promise was on um submission my agent was selling it around as you know uh, rompy not rapey so <laughs> it was a, a fancy book where one of the selling points was that nobody got raped in it uh uh, that is kind of sad. That is, yeah, very. That's a bit of an eye opener, actually. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and you know, do you know what? The, you know, less rape, more more grown up relationships between people. You know, and I, you know, it's not definitely not prudish. I want to see more sex, but I want it to be between consenting adults, basically. You know, because why not? I think that's a, a name we can all get behind. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Um. So. 
to be honest, if, if there's anyone listening who hasn't read Jen's books, which I'd be very surprised uh, if you haven't even heard of them, um, I'm sure that they'll run off to do so right now. Um, but uh, <laughs> if you could, uh, if you had a few um, pithy words to convince them to buy your books and to read them, what would they be? I know, I'm sorry, it's the pitch question. Terrible, I'm terrible at pitching it. I'm yeah, really me too. Dreadful. Um, basically, it's fast-paced, modern fantasy, um, with plenty of magic and banter um, uh, and, you know, at least one or two reasonably good jokes in it. So, you know, um, if you're looking for old school fantasy that um, will be like going down the pub and having several drinks with a mate, that's what the books are like. Oh, I think that's nicely summed up. I'm going to go and get a pint (laughs) myself now. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Well, thank you very much for coming and talking to us. No problem, thank you, Lucy. This has been Lucy Hounsome and Jen Williams for another episode of Breaking the Glass Slipper. Thanks for listening.